So last week, Pastor Carlos um, actually kicked off the series with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And that was a very encouraging uh, Uh, teaching that he gave us, I want to remind you, by the way, if you get encouraged with anything that's said, anything that's said throughout this teaching, please drop a comment in the comment section. It can be an amen. It can be a praise Jesus. It can be even a prayer request. Whatever you have in your heart, just connect with us through that, and we'll really appreciate that as well. But last week, he was talking about why do bad things happen to good people? And if that's something you want to go back to, to watch, because it was a great message, please do so, just not right now, but afterwards you can. And just to sum it up, he reminded us that God is in control even when we can't see it. It's very similar to how a parent has things under control even when the child doesn't see it. See, God sees the whole picture of what's going on when we only see what's right in front of us. We only see what's right in front of us. So if we decide to trust God we can actually tap into a peace that surpasses understanding. As crazy as that sounds, if we trust God, we can tap into a peace that's deeper than understanding because even though we don't understand, we can trust that God does understand. Today's teaching is in reference to the, a response to the question, why didn't God answer my prayer? And I think that's a very important question too because it's one that we've all wondered. It's one that we've all asked at one point. It's one that we relate to because we all pray in our times of need. Everyone. Listen, I bet even the biggest atheists, people that don't believe in God, I bet in their times of need, their greatest times of need, I bet they've prayed too. I bet because when you run out of options, you have nothing else to do but ask for help. But I know it's really discouraging when you don't get the answer that you're hoping for. You don't get the help that you're asking for. We live in very uncertain times. Now, I'm confident that we're gonna get through this, and my prayer is that when you start to see the breakthroughs, you give God the glory and honor and praise that he deserves because he's a great God, and he's good even when times are bad. But right now, I know we can't shake that. We live in a very uncertain time, and there are plenty of people that are praying for things, and sadly, a lot of them aren't receiving it. And I know, It's discouraging when you don't get what you're asking for. It leaves you asking why. When you don't get the outcome in life that you're expecting or hoping for, it leaves you asking why. A lot of times, we fall into this trap when we don't get the answer that we're hoping for. We fall into this trap of believing one of two lies, maybe even both. But there are two lies that a lot of us fall into, two untrue statements that a lot of us fall into. And it goes something like this. It'll be like this. Ready? Since God didn't answer my prayer, that must mean, it's funny, when we lead to our own understanding, look what happens. That must mean, and the first lie is this, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. That's the first lie. He he can't really care for me the way I thought he did. If God really loves me the way I thought he did, why wouldn't he give me this thing that I'm asking for? I'm asking for a good thing. So why wouldn't he give me a good thing? Does God really love me? Why isn't he doing this? You know what? Maybe maybe he's just a distant God. Maybe he's disconnected. Maybe he's not relational the way I thought he was. Maybe God doesn't really love me. And I just want to flat out tell you that's a lie from the devil. That's not true. But the truth of the matter is a lot of us 
have struggled with that question. Even maybe you right now, with everything that's going on, maybe you've wondered, does God really love me? Because if he does, then why isn't he giving me these good things that I'm asking for? Why isn't he answering my prayer? The second lie that a lot of us might fall into believing is this. God isn't really all-powerful. He doesn't really have everything under control. All right, Joel, maybe he does love me, but then he can't be all-powerful. It can't be both because if he really loves me and he's really all-powerful, he should be able to do what I'm asking of God isn't a hard thing to do. For an all-powerful God, it should be easy to do the thing that I'm requesting. You know what? Maybe prayer is just ineffective because God can't really answer my prayer. Maybe God isn't all-powerful. And again, I'm just going to flat out tell you that's a lie. That's not true. But I do understand that we can fall into the trap of believing that when we don't get the answers that we're hoping for. I think it's really related to even last week's message when Pastor Carlos spoke of why do bad things happen to good people? Because if you think of it, you might be thinking, all right, God if he's really all-loving, he should love good people. I mean, if he's going to love anybody, he should love good people, right? So he should love good people. And if he's really all-powerful, then he should be able to stop harmful things from happening to those good people that he loves. Uh, Pastor Carlos explained this in a very, um, a very effective way, a very clear way, where he said, it's a flawed question. It's a flawed question from the get. See, the truth is, a lot of the things that we consider to be bad at one point of our lives isn't really bad to us, at least, at other points of our lives. I bet if you're old enough, you know, you can probably look back at your youth, you can probably look back in your life and see things that you considered to be bad then, and you look at it now and you're like, you know what, that wasn't so bad. Actually, thank God it happened. Because that happened, it got me to here. You know what? The thing I was hoping for was actually going to be bad for me. Thank God that didn't happen. The thing I thought was good was actually bad. Or the thing that I thought was bad was actually good for me. If we can do that with our limited capacity, imagine what God sees. See, it's a flawed question. Sometimes the things that we consider to be bad aren't really bad, or at least not at different points of our lives. But I do understand there are things that are bad no matter what. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the time, the, no matter what the point of our lives, there are some things that are bad no matter what. And that actually leads to the next flaw in the question. What do we call a good person? See, our standard for what a good person is, is very, how do I say, low compared to God's standard. If you ask anyone in the street, walk around the street, they're going to tell you, I'm a good person, because we all have our own standards for what good means. But... A lot of the bad that comes to us, a lot of times comes from other, other people that consider themselves to be good. And in other times, the bad that happens to us, we actually cause ourselves. Yet again, I understand there are times when it's not someone else that's causing the bad. There are times that it's not us causing the bad. There are just times that bad things happen and we don't understand why. And the point of all this is to say, in those times, it leaves us asking why. When we don't get the outcome in life that we expect, we ask why. Why is this happening? So I want to explain a couple things. The first thing I want to say right from the start, just to make this clear, I'm not going to pretend like I have it all figured out. I don't. There's no perfect answer for this. 
There's no perfect answer for this. Because for me to say I have it all figured out would be saying I have God all figured out. And that's just not true. I mean, I, my goal as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is to get to know more about God each and every day. And that's a lifelong journey. Not only that, even when we get to heaven, we're still going to be learning th new things about God for all of eternity. So before we even try to tackle why God doesn't respond the way we, we expect to sometimes, I want to clarify the two statements that we made earlier, those two questions that we made earlier. Does God really love me? If he doesn't respond to me, does he really love me? Is he really all-powerful? And I think there's a story in the Bible that can really speak to this uh, topic very, very well. And you'll see what I, what I mean in a minute. There's a story that really speaks to this. And it's in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through thir uh, 43. And it's actually, to paint the picture a little bit, it's late at night. It's right after the Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples had the Last Supper. And they go to this garden, and Jesus went there to pray. Now, I don't know the name of many gardens. I know Madison Square Garden, although that doesn't count. But I know the name of this garden because it's a very important one. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus led his disciples there because he was going to pray. So I want to read about the prayer and about what happened there. And then we're going to dive into what it means and then what it means to us too. So let's read this. And it says in the book of Mark, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with, with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. I kind of felt bad for them at this point because I get it. It was late at night. They just finished the last supper. It must have been a big supper. It was the last one, right? It must have been great. I can imagine it must have been sleepy, but they didn't know what was coming. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And we know what happens next. Right after this, Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples that had been following him for three years, betrays him, and Jesus gets arrested. See, the Garden of Gethsemane marks the beginning of all of the suffering Jesus was about to endure. When he was in that garden, it started. He was burdened. He was overwhelmed with everything that he was about to go through. But then after that, he gets betrayed by one of his disciples. He gets arrested. He gets denied by Peter abandoned by those closest to him. 
He gets beaten to the point where he could have died just from the beating alone. He gets mocked by Roman soldiers. He gets separated from Father God. And then he gets crucified. See, often when we think about the suffering that Jesus went through, we go straight to the crucifixion, which of course was bad on its own. That's what killed him. But think of everything he was going through even before that. All the suffering that started right at that garden of Gethsemane. A side note, if you've ever wondered if God understands your pain, just think about what Jesus went through. Think of all the pain Jesus went through from the garden to the cross. Jesus understands your pain. He went through all that pain, and he did it with you in mind. He did it for you. Jesus understands our pain. He went through it. But think of the emotional and spiritual state that Jesus was in when he was praying to his Father in heaven. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I want to break down this prayer a little bit. It's a short prayer, but a very important one for us to understand. So to break it down, the first thing to notice is Jesus calls God Abba, Father. Now, Abba itself means Father. But its significance is much deeper. It's speaking of confidence. It's speaking of trust. It's speaking of intimacy. It's speaking of something way deeper, affection. It speaks, closeness, it speaks to closeness and vulnerability. This would be like my daughter Abigail or my son Joel Jr. coming to me in tears and saying, Daddy, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was crying before his, as a son to his Father in heaven. He was broken in despair, crying to his father in heaven. Then he says, everything is possible for you. He's acknowledging his father's strength, saying, I know you can do this. I know this isn't above your control. I know you got this. This is not beyond your power. He's acknowledging Father God's power and authority. Then next, Jesus says, take this cup from me. Here's Jesus's request. That's what he's asking for. See, Jesus knew why he came to earth, but he was deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus was about to carry the guilt of sin for every single person in all points of humanity, of, of history, past, present, and future. All in one, he was about to carry all the weight of their sin. Think about this for a second. Have you ever felt the weight of your own guilt? Have you ever felt really guilty for something? And can you think of how, how much that weighs? Imagine carrying the weight of every single person's guilt, every single person from past, present, and future. Jesus knew what he was about to do. And he asked, please take this from me. See, being human, Jesus was overwhelmed. But then the next thing, being God, he had the courage to say, yet not what I will, but what you will. He was saying, I understand your plan. I know how important this is. Let it be as you plan. Being God, he knew God's will, and he, he had the courage to say that. But I don't want to ignore the fact that he did make that request. Take this cup from me. I don't want to ignore that. Can you imagine the dilemma that God was in? Knowing that he had the power and the authority to relieve Jesus from his suffering, but knowing how important it was. He had Jesus right before him, and he can relieve him from all the suffering. He had the power and the authority to end it right there. Jesus knew it, 
That's why he says everything is possible for you. He even butters him up a little bit. Everything is possible for you. I know you can do it. God knew what he can do it too. There's nothing stronger or more powerful than God in all of this universe. Nothing at all. Yet when Jesus requested, take this cup from me, what's, what's his father's response? No. Even when Jesus made the request, his response was no. Because a little bit right after that prayer, he's betrayed by his disciple Judas. He gets arrested. And then he goes on to endure the most painful suffering anyone has ever had to endure in all of human history. No one can compare to the suffering he went through. You just can't. See, Jesus was deeply burdened, feeling the weight of everything he was about to face. He asked, Abba, Father, Daddy, my heavenly Father, my powerful Dad, take this cup from me. God had the power to do it. He had the love for Jesus to do it, but he said no. In a short while, after that, everything happened. All the suffering began. This had to be the most difficult, painful, sorrowful no any parent would ever have to make. This had to be the most painful, sorrowful, difficult no God has ever had to make. It has to be. Now, in hindsight, we understand why God had to say no, right? We understand the magnitude of what Jesus was about to do. Jesus knew it too. That's why he was able to say, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, God's will required Jesus to suffer for our guilt and our sin. God's will required his own son to suffer for our guilt and our sin to be washed away by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, we have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. Our relationship with God can be restored because of what he did. It was really important. See, it was an act of love. What God was doing there was an act of love. His no was an act of love. But you know what? It didn't make that no any easier. It didn't make that an easy no. It didn't make that a simple no. He still had his very own son burdened, overwhelmed, right before him, asking for help. And he said no. See, there's a lot of significance in what we read here. It actually has a lot of answers to the questions that we might have right now. And if you watch, I think it even answers those, those two questions that we asked before. Does God really love me? Is he really all-powerful? I think there's a lot to learn from Jesus' prayer. As short as it is, I think there's so much for us to learn from it. So the first thing that I think we should really take notice of is this. As believers and followers of Jesus, just like Jesus did, we should bring our burdens and sorrows to Father God, knowing that he's listening. Knowing that Abba Father is listening, we should bring our burdens and sorrows too. Your prayers aren't falling on deaf ears. Your prayers are being heard by a heavenly Father that loves you and feels what you feel. He feels what you feel. We have a relationship with God that's real, intimate, and personal. God's not distant. He's not disconnected. He's close to us. It's a relationship of a father and a child. Our prayers are a conversation between daddy and his child. If you're a child of God, you know that your, 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 your love is eternal. I, I lost what I wanted to say. Let me look at it for a second. If you're a child of God, we know that we're eternally loved. That's what I wanted to say. All right. We're eternally loved with the highest love, agape love. I'm going to say it again. If you're a child of God, you know that you're eternally loved with the highest love, agape love. It's a love that's deep, it's faithful, and it's determined to be shared with you. The question is, 
Do you have this relationship with God? Do you know God personally, intimately, as, a fa- as your father? Can you call him Abba Father? You know, that all depends on what you make of Jesus. Like, who's Jesus in your life? Is he your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Jesus paid your debt of sin and guilt and created the opportunity for you to have a relationship with him. Do you know him in this manner? Or do you just acknowledge Jesus? There's a difference here. If you know Jesus in this manner, the way we're explaining, it's more than just acknowledging Jesus. It means depending on Jesus. It's not just acknowledging who he is. It's depending who he is, on who he is. It's trusting who he is. Look, I could be drowning in the middle of the ocean, and I can see the boat, a boat coming to, to my rescue. I can see the boat and acknowledge that it's there. But seeing and acknowledging that it's there isn't going to save me. It's not going to save my life. I'm not depending on that boat until I jump into it and trust that it's going to save me. Do you just acknowledge Jesus or do you depend on Jesus? Do you have this relationship with him? If you do, if you have a relationship with Jesus in his manner, then that means you know the Father. And if you know the Father, that means you can go into prayer with a deep confidence, knowing that you are personally, intimately, eternally loved by God. Now, if you don't have this relationship with God, if you don't know Jesus in his manner, then my, my hope, my prayer is that that's the next prayer you make. Even today, make that prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. Make him not only your savior, but your Lord. Don't just acknowledge him, but depend on him. Trust him. Put the weight of your life on his back and trust that he's going to carry you. And if you do that, Jesus will lead you to the Father. And then the Father will pour his love all over you. God loves you. There's no question about that. None whatsoever. God loves you. You want proof? Look at the cross. The cross, what happened on the cross is the greatest act of love in all of history. Read the Bible. The Bible is the greatest love letter ever written. It's God pursuing your heart. God loves you. There's no question about it. The second important thing to learn is that as children of God, we should bring our prayers, our requests to our Father with faith that everything is possible for Him and nothing is impossible for Him. Our God is a powerful God, the supreme being. No one has more power or authority than Him. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the God of action. He's the God of miracles. He's not a passive God, but an active God. We can bring our requests to Daddy with the faith that nothing we ask for is too big for him to handle. Everything is possible for God. It doesn't matter what the world is saying. It doesn't matter what people are telling you. It doesn't matter what your doctor is saying or your friends. It doesn't matter what your family members say, those closest to you, those loved ones. It doesn't matter what your situation may look like or what your situation actually might be. There's nothing you can present to God that's too big for him to handle. You can go into prayer with the confidence that when you enter God's presence, whatever you request, God can handle. There's nothing too big for him. Nothing whatsoever. And then on top of that, you're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. Nothing's impossible for God. So, so far we're learning two things. One, that we should bring our prayers to God knowing that we're loved by God. And the second one, with the confidence and faith that he can handle what we ask for. But the third thing to, to learn is actually the hardest one. 
It really is. It's the toughest thing to learn. And it's this. The third thing to learn is the hard one. It's the fact that sometimes our prayer doesn't match God's plan. Sometimes our prayer doesn't match God's plan. What we're asking for doesn't always line up with his will. It's not because he doesn't love you. He definitely loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and he did it not holding anything back. He did it because he loves you. If you're a child of God, you know that you love for eternity. God has forever love. Who can say that? If you're a child of God, you're loved for eternity. God has forever love. You're definitely loved by God. There's no doubt about it. But we don't always get the answer we're hoping for. And it's not because he's not all-powerful. God's the one that spoke everything into existence. Everything. To say that God isn't powerful because he doesn't give you the, re the response you wanted in your prayer is like trying to push a giant. Follow me for a second. To say that God is not powerful because he didn't give you the response you wanted in prayer is like pushing a giant. You try to push the, the giant. Think of the biggest giant you can think of. I don't know, bigger than Goliath. You try to push him, try to move him to the side. And when you quit, you say, hey, giant, you're weak because you didn't move. Doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. You're weak because you didn't move. Because you know very well the giant will move when he pleases to. The giant will move when he wants to move. And in the same way, God will move when it's his will. It's not that he can't move. God can do anything. Everything's possible for God. But he sticks to his plan. He'll move if it's his will. He'll move if it's his plan. I know this is hard to, to accept. But think about this. Even when Jesus asked God to move, he didn't. Even when Jesus asked to take his burden, Father God did not move. And it was difficult. It was sorrowful. It was painful. See, this is the thing. We struggle with this because it's in our nature to want to know why. Okay, God. All right. My request is not part of your plan. Okay. But why not? At least give me an explanation. You're saying no, but then tell me why. If what I'm asking for is a good thing, then why isn't it in your plan? God, it should be in your plan. Like, look at us. In our limited capacity, it should be in your plan. It's a good thing that I'm asking. But see, this leads into the bigger issue. The bigger issue is... When God says no, God's character isn't what's put into question. It's ours. God's response to our prayer is not being challenged. It's not, sorry, God's response to our prayer is not challenging his character. It's challenging our character. God's character is not what's challenged during this time. It's really us. When God says no, his character is not what's brought into question. It's our character. God is still loving. He's still all-powerful. He's still all-knowing. He still holds nothing back to fulfill his plan. Nothing back. It challenges us. It challenges our patience. It challenges our pride. It challenges our motives. It challenges who we are. It challenges our faith. Our inclination to try to, try to take control of the situation, to do it our way. How does that turn out for you most of the time, by the way? For me, it usually ends up bad. It challenges our true intentions to why we seek God. See, if you're seeking God to, 
get things out of him, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. A relationship with God is not based on what he can do for you. A relationship with God is based on who God is. It's fixed on his character. It's fixed on the fact that that's my heavenly father who loves me. Think about your relationship with those that you love. Why do you love them? Do you love them because of what they can do for you? Do you love your children because of what they can do for you? I mean, I think if anything, you've learned about your kids, your love for your kids throughout this quarantine with all the craziness at home, right? You know you don't love your kids based on what they can do for you. You love your kids based on who they are, and that's it. Do you love your parents based on what they can do for you? If, if that's the case, then you would love them less as time goes by because the older they get, the more they need your help. No, you love your parents based on who they are, and that's it. If your love for God is based solely on what he can do for you, then that's not love. That's not a relationship. That's a business transaction. Okay, if I do this for you, then you should be doing something back for me. That's not love. See, God's response to our prayers doesn't challenge God's character. It challenges your character. It challenges my character. That's what is really challenging. When we pray, we mostly focus on what we're asking for. And that makes sense. Like you're coming into prayer, you're, you're focused on the thing that you're bringing to God in request. But what if something else is happening at the same time? What if God's also asking you something? What if God's really asking us something? As you're bringing your request, God's a- asking you something as well. What if God is saying to you, do you still consider me loving in my yes and my no? Do you still consider me powerful in my yes and in my no? Do you still, con- still consider me faithful in my yes and in my no? Am I still Lord of your life in my yes and in my no? Am I still king of your heart in my yes and in my no? Do you still love me in my yes and in my no? Are you still faithful to me in my yes and my no? Can I still trust you in my yes and in my no? Because let me tell you something, I don't change. I'm still God in my yes and in my no. I'm still loving and faithful in my yes and my no. I'm still king in my yes and my no. I'm still good in my yes and my no. I still have everything under control in my yes and my no. I still love you in my yes and in my no. And I always love you because my character doesn't change under the circumstance. Does yours. My love doesn't change. Does yours. What if God is asking you that behind that response that he gives you in your prayers while you're asking for something? What if he's asking you something too? See, there are going to be times when we don't understand God's response. There are going to be times when we don't get the response we want and he doesn't give the explanation to why. And in those times, that's when you have to tap into the trust in God to tap into this, the peace that surpasses understanding. Pastor Carlos spoke of the story of Job a little bit last week. And Job, if, you, if you've read it or if you remember from last week, he went through a lot of bad things. He lost his wealth. He lost his business. He lost his children. He even started to lose his health. And of course, naturally, it, had him, it led him to asking God why. Like, God, why? Why is this happening to me? I'm faithful to you. Why is this happening to me? 
And the funny thing is, God didn't really give him a response to why. He didn't really give him an explanation. Forgive me. He responded, but he didn't give him an explanation to why. All God did was he reminded Job of who God was. He re- Job was reminded of God's unchanging character. And the crazy thing is, that was enough for Job. Like, that's the surprise ending in that book. Everything he went through, he was satisfied in God's response and just saying who he was. It's like, God, why did I go through all this? And God says, because I'm God. Like, that, that sounds silly. It's way better in the book. If you read it, it's chapters of God explaining who he was. It's much deeper, more powerful. But in essence, that's what it was, because I'm God. And that was enough for Job. That was enough for Job. That's the crazy part. That was enough for him. See, what happened there, the reason Job was able to tap into that that peace was because he changed his perspective. He changed his perspective. His eyes were fixed now on who God was. His eyes were fixed on God's character, unchanging character. He said, you know what? I remember now that you're a loving God. You're an all-powerful God. Everything is under your control. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Your ways are higher than mine. I can't see what you see. I can't think what you think. But I know that I can trust your plan because your plan is good. Because God, you're good all the time. There's a peace that surpasses understanding. And Job found it. He found that peace when he fixed his eyes on God's character. On who God was even when he didn't didn't understand why. You see, we wonder why why doesn't God answer our prayers or why didn't God answer my prayer? But I'm going to say this, just like last week's question was flawed, this is also a flawed question. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Because the truth is God always answers your prayer. It just might not be the answer you want. God doesn't ignore your prayer. He responds but in many different ways. He's not just going to say yes all the time. He could say yes. He could say not yet or wait. He could say not that way. He could say no. And there are probably other things he could say too, I'm sure, but you could sum it up pretty much in those four probably. Yes, not yet or wait, not that way, no. To give you some examples from the Bible, Elijah got a yes. God said yes to Elijah when he asked for fire to come down from heaven. That's a really cool thing to say yes to, by the way. I mean, fire came down from heaven when Elijah prayed for it. He said yes. To Abraham, he said not yet for his son Isaac to be born. Abraham had to wait until he was 100 years old for his son Isaac to be born. Can you imagine until you're 100 years old to get the response you're waiting for from God? I'd forget what I even prayed for by then. But God gave it to him. He was saying, not yet, wait. King David, King David loved God, right? King David got a not that way. That was his answer to one of the prayers. Not that way. See, King David actually wanted to do a really good thing. Talk about it, right? A good thing that he's praying for. He wanted to give God a temple. So God said, okay, I'll give you, you you can give me a temple, but you're not going to build it. It's going to be your son, King Solomon. So King Solomon, David's son, when he became king, after King David died, King David didn't even get to see it. When King Solomon, you know, uh, took his place, he's the one that built the temple for God. So that was like a not that way. 
And then finally, we already can think of the last one, the no. Jesus heard no when he asked for God to take his burdens. See, God always answers our prayers. It might not always be the response we want, but it'll always be a response from a loving, all-powerful God and he's, that sticks to his plan, sticks to his will. And you can trust that plan even if you don't understand it. Now, to finally get to some possible reasons to God's response, in other words, to why he might do that, that's the smaller, smallest portion of my teaching, in all honesty, because, honestly, we don't fully know. I don't fully, I'm not going to pretend to fully know God. I know he's good. I know he loves me. I know he's all-powerful. I know he has plans that are good that I can trust in. But I don't always know why he does what he does. But to, to add, you know, to respond to that a little bit, I think I summed up three points that I want to highlight. One of them is this. Sometimes our prayer contradicts someone else's prayer. It's the opposite of what someone else is praying. So he can't say yes to both, right? So I have some lighthearted examples, but like think about sport events. When you're praying for your sport team, both teams can't win. For some reason, he prays, he says yes to Yankee fans more than Met fans. I don't know why. I'm upset about that. I'm still praying about it. But you get the point. Like both teams can't win. Another example is when you're praying for a job position. Are you the only person going for that job position? Because if you were, you probably wouldn't have the interview. You probably wouldn't have to even pray, but you, you just got it. That's not the case. More people are going for it. And guess what? They're probably praying too. Well, you can't all get the job. What do you want to share the salary to? Like, it doesn't work that way. One person's going to get the job, right? It reminds me of Bruce Almighty. If you've ever seen the movie, Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's actually Bruce in the movie, and for a short period of time, God gives him the responsibility of basically, basically being God for a little bit. And in the movie, he has to respond to a bunch of prayers, and he gets tired of reading the prayers, so he just says yes to everybody. So everyone got a yes. How great is that, right? Look at this. Look, you think getting a yes for everything is good. Watch this. He says yes to all the prayers. Guess what? Everyone that, that played the lottery that day won. All right, that's good news, right? But everybody won. So they all had to share the prize money. You know how much everyone got? They all got $1. Each person got $1. Which, word of advice, take this, you know, learn this lesson. If you ever win the lottery, don't quit your job until you, have, you get the money. Because you might end up getting a dollar and then now you're broker than before, right? Because now you have no job. So don't quit until you have the money. See, God's response, the point is, you get this, God's re response can't be yes to every single prayer. It can't. It can't be yes to everything because a lot of them contradict each other. The second thing is your prayer goes against free will sometimes. Sometimes our prayer goes against free will. And God is not going to force something to happen just because you're praying for it if, it's, if it means violating someone's free will. He's not going to do that. He won't. Lord, please make this person marry me. That's a good thing, right? God hears your prayer. Your faith will prompt him to do something. He will respond to your prayer in some way, somehow, some fashion. Your prayer is not in vain. Don't think it's empty. It's not. God hears you. He hears your heart. He hears your faith. He'll definitely respond to it in some way that's good. But he's not going to force something to happen if it means violating someone else's free will. He's just not going to do that. You know, another example is when we pray for loved ones to accept Jesus as their Lord. You know, obviously God loves that prayer. 
He responds to that faith. He loves that faith. He honors that faith. He wants that too. So he'll do things. He'll move. He'll demonstrate his love to that person. He'll do things, right? He'll even prompt other people to go to speak to them about it. He'll create opportunities for that person to get to know who Jesus is. Because he wants, to, he wants that to happen too. That's something that is aligned to his will. But the only thing he won't do is he won't force that person to do it. That person has to choose to love Jesus back. It's a free choice. So those are just examples, but you get the idea. He's not going to violate someone else's free will, you know, to respond to our prayer. He's not going to do that. And then the third one we spoke of a little bit already and it's sometimes our prayer goes against God's will. You know, an example here is a tough one, right? Because it's the heart-wrenching prayer that we've all made sometimes, at times. Some of you have made it even recently when you're praying for someone that's lying on their deathbed. You know, I've, I've had to pray even for people that are struggling th uh, through this time too. So I know it's hard. Those are people that you love. Those are people that God loves too. You have to remember, God loves them too. God feels their pain too. We know that. Jesus felt our pain. He feels our pain. He gets it. He knows that. But you have to remember as well, God's plan for us is to live eternally. But that doesn't mean on earth. God's plan is for us to live forever, but that doesn't mean on earth. He doesn't want us to live forever on, in a place that's full of suffering and pain. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to always live in a place that's sorrowful. No, his plan, in fact, is the opposite. He, want us, he wants us to live forever in a place where there's no more suffering, there's no more pain, there's no more, no more sorrow. That's God's plan, and he's going to stick to his plan. He's going to stick to his plan. See, we're never going to fully understand everything God does, every response to our prayer. But no matter what, our eyes have to be fixed on who God is, on his unchanging character. We have to focus on the fact that he's good all the time. Even when times are bad, God is still good. Sometimes our prayer just doesn't match his plan for us. See, we need to follow the example of Jesus' prayer. Jesus, broken in despair, poured out his heart as a son to his father. Jesus had the faith that whatever he was bringing to God's feet, he had the faith that God could handle. But he also had the trust in God's plan. He also trusted that God's plan was going to be good, even if at that moment he couldn't see it. And obviously in his case, he knew it. But he still trusted in God's plan, even if it wasn't the response he wanted from God. So if you find yourself asking why during the circumstance we're in, as we're closing in, in, in the teaching, you can ask God questions. That's good. God wants that. He invites you to do that. It's crazy because when you bring your doubt into prayer, you're actually practicing your faith. Believe it or not, when you bring doubt into prayer, you're practicing faith because it takes faith to pray. God, God invites you to do that. That's fine. That really is. But I, I ask you to keep in your mind, remember, keep in your heart that you're loved by God. God is powerful. And you can trust in his plan because his plan is always good. Amen. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity for us to learn about you. 
I know, God, that we're living in a very uncertain time, a hard time for so many of us. And I know, God, that not all of us are feeling it the same way. Some of us are, are suffering. Some of us are feeling pain. Some of us are going through hardship and losing loved ones. Some of us are getting sick, God. And that leads to so many questions. But my prayer, God, is that you touch each and every heart of the, person, the people that are listening, God. May you touch their heart to remind them that they are eternally loved by you. May they know that you have all the power in the world to do anything that they bring into, into prayer. They can have confidence that you hear their prayer and you can handle their prayer. And I pray, Lord, that they also have the trust and faith in you to believe that your plan is good, even if they don't understand it, even if it's not what they were hoping for. You're good, God. You really are. We love you, and we thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. And remember, God is always good all the time. Stay safe. God bless you.